Good morning, Faith Church, or good afternoon or good evening whenever you are watching this. We are coming to the end of the Easter season, and so we're going to look at John chapter 21. And as you're turning there, I have this question. How do you live in a world that has been turned upside down? That's certainly a question that many are asking right now. Yet, it's also a question that is very relevant to this text as we enter into the conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Jesus has died, he's been raised, and he has appeared to his group of friends a couple of times at this point, and now this is actually the third time, John says. And at this point, they are sitting on a beach, Jesus has prepared breakfast for them, and he is serving them. So this is John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, as we listen to this text, we want to hear what you have said to your people of old and what you are now saying to us. Holy Spirit, please lead us and guide us, open up our hearts and our minds to engage with what it is that you want us to see and to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when times are changing, people are wondering what is going to be the new normal. Maybe many of us are asking that question. Maybe you feel like you're stuck. You're not sure how you're even going to move forward. So what do you do? Individuals, businesses, churches are talking about how do we, how do we adapt and how do we maybe reinvent ourselves? This is a common conversation. There was an article in the Harvard Business Review back at the end of April. It's called Reinventing Your Career in the Time of Coronavirus. And the author of that was quoting Bill Bridges, who is the author of Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes. So Bill Bridges wrote this book prior to the coronavirus. But in this article, she quotes Bill saying this, We need not feel defensive about this apparently unproductive time out at turning points in our lives. In the apparently aimless activities of our time alone, we are doing important inner business. And then there was another article written by a consultant in New York City just a few weeks ago, and she started her article this way. Experiencing a global crisis like we are doing today may lead to many of us beginning to question our choices in life because when faced with threats to our life and to our sense of safety and security, the big questions in our life resurface. Those questions that we tend to keep dormant under a blanket of routines and responsibilities. Why am I doing what I'm doing? 
Am I more than what I do? What is really important to me? What is the purpose of my life and my career? What makes me happy? Crisis can cause these questions to become more prominent for many of us, and they can, they can provoke us to do that important inner business. And I think in, in some ways that's what Jesus is doing with Peter. And with that, he points to this big reality that this text expounds upon, and it's this. We follow what we love. This is a deep philosophical conversation that, that many have had for centuries. The heart wants what the heart wants, says Emily Dickinson, which I actually first heard that, I think, from Woody Allen. And, of course, Selena Gomez has a song about it. How does Jesus speak to this? In its bookends, we see that he brings this out. He, he says to Peter, do you love me? And then he ends with, follow me. Why does he do this? Because at some level, you follow what you love. Jesus invites Peter, and I would say us as well, to follow him because we love him. If, if we don't find him lovely or lovable or desirable, it makes it, I think, impossible to actually follow him. This is why it's important not just to know what he says to do, but what he has done on our behalf. Sometimes uh, Christians, those of us who consider ourselves Christians, we can get so focused on wanting to convince people to follow Jesus that we forget people need to first love him. And to love him, they need to know him. My son shared with me a quote uh, recently. He took a class with Tim Mackey. This is an online class. Actually, if you want to take it, email me and I'll send you the link. And in the class, Tim says this, Jesus doesn't need people who will compel people to him. He just needs people to tell his story. So within this John 21 conversation of us following what we love, Jesus invites us to do three things. Question what we love, respond to what we love, and then give in to what we love. So we're going to look at each of those in turn. Question what we love. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And if you're familiar with the text, maybe you've heard people talk about the different Greek words, agape and phileo, that's used there and what its significance. And I'm, I'm not real sure about that, but this is clearly important. Jesus is inviting Peter to question what he loves. Do you love me? This is an uncomfortable question. I don't like it when people ask me that question, but it's a necessary question. What do you love? It's essential. Specifically, do you love him? If you are not a follower of Jesus and you, you don't actually know him, your answer, of course, is no, I, I don't love him because I, I don't know him. It's not that you probably have anything against him. It's just you don't know him. Um, I offer this especially to you if you are working through maybe some of that important inner business. Maybe ask the question, what's the big deal? Maybe it's time to investigate, to, to study, to see why billions of people for centuries have found him attractive, have found him worthy to love. And if you know someone who, here's the clincher, here's the key, 
Know someone who's not hyper-religious, but you, you believe actually loves Jesus? Ask them. And it's okay to tell them, look, don't, I don't want you to try to convert me. Just introduce me to him. Tell me what it is that you find beautiful. Why is it that you love him? What's the big deal with him? So with that, I would say whether we claim to follow Jesus or not, it's an important exercise to consider what really, what really captures our attention, what steals our affection, um, what captures our imagination. What are you really, I mean, what are you really devoted to besides binge watching Tiger King and the Haunting of Hill House? What are you really devoted to? Jesus' point here is not to try to convince Peter to love him. He's questioning, look, you've been with me. You've seen me. What do you think? Do you love me? Am I a better object of love than the other things that you have tried? Am I worthy of you following? So with that, for us, what do you love? What do we love? Do we love him? If you, if you don't know him enough, it's, it's hard to answer that question. Do you, do you want to investigate him? Do you want to know him? And if you do know him, here's, here's the follow-up question. What tends to creep in and to overtake that love? Maybe those are things that we need to examine and to address. So with this, questioning what he loves, how then does Peter answer the question? Three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus follows up by inviting Peter to respond to what he loves. And how does he do that? He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. There's slight variances which, with each of his responses, but what's common in them all is my, mine. He says, love who I love and love how I love. Years ago, I had a friend who we were actually meeting downtown at Coffee Tree, and it was a tough time. I was actually at another church at that point. Difficult time in life, and he knew that. And as we were talking, he wanted to reaffirm. He, he says, I love you. Let me know how I can care for you. And at that moment, this passage kind of came alive to me. I felt, I felt like I connected with Jesus in a, in a unique way because I got it. You want to love me? Love the people I'm trying to love. You want to care for me? Care for the people I try to love that I'm trying to care for. And even if you're not a pastor, right? It's, if you're a husband or, or a, um, a father, how do, you, how do you love me as a husband or a father? Love my wife. You want to love me as a dad? Love my kids. Maybe pay their tuition. Love my kids. That's loving me. Or several years ago when my folks were dying, and I lived in Colorado, um, they lived in South Carolina. If you wanted to love me during that time, love my parents. My sisters did that so well. I did not get back as much as I should have, but they were there and they cared for them. And in caring for them, they cared for me. Jesus invites us to love who he loves and then to love how he loves. How, how, does, how does loving Jesus, how does that look? What does it look like? Well, first, 
loving him changes us. Um, it changes how we do things. That's natural with love, right? Love does things to us. I remember after Fran and I started dating, so this was many years ago, my oldest sister made a comment to me. She said, you know what, Joey, you're much more affectionate now. I thought I was a pretty affectionate brother prior to that, but apparently I wasn't. But my love for Fran changed me. It changed me to, me, to, changed me to be more affectionate to other people. How does loving Jesus actually change us? Well, leads us to tangibly and compassionately care for others. Um, his, his love grows in us this desire to tangibly, to, to practically bring his life and his love and his care and his welcome to other people in order to work for their good, for their flourishing, for their wholeness. And not to do so as a checklist, not, well, I guess I've loved that person. It's not a checklist of things to do, but to care as he cares. How does he care? Compassionately. What did Jesus, what did, what did Peter watch with Jesus for three years? He watched Jesus care for the outcast and heal the sick and befriend the friendless. And he watched him serve selflessly, sacrificially. He watched him do it with joy out of genuine compassion. Jesus is saying, if you love me and you find my way of loving others attractive, then respond. Let it, let it form who you love and let it form how you love. What does that look like for us? Who is it that we are to be loving like this? People in our church, if you're a part of faith church or some other church, of course, certainly. But beyond that, we are right now at faith church, we're in the midst of our virtual food drive for House of Neighborly Services, who is an agency in town that helps those that are in need. And especially during this time, as we do this virtual drive, we're able to help those who are having a hard time putting food on the table or paying their bills. And so now we, as a community who are seeking to love Jesus, can respond compassionately and practically, tangibly, by helping out an organization like this. Thank you for what you've done with this. From what I understand from our uh, from Greg, our finance director, you've already given over $2,000. So thank you for that. Who else is it around us? As you think about your own life, who, who around you might Jesus want to love through you? Where do you feel his heart beating toward another person or maybe even a group of people? Who is that? So following him, being changed into his kind of people is all going to be dependent on this last thing, this, this third thing. Jesus invites us not just to, to question and to respond, but also to give into what we love. Or better yet, to give into the one who loves us. If we try to do all this and we try to find a sense of identity or a sense of security and how well we love and how well we respond, it's going to crumble under us. It's like every other self-made security. It's no different just because it's religious sounding. Following Jesus because you love him is based on a whole new paradigm of life. It's another kingdom 
that requires challenging our faulty identity and then giving us a greater identity. One of the things that Jesus is doing with Peter is tearing down his false identities, his false securities that are, that are actually holding him back. He does this by hitting Peter um, in two ways, kind of two of his big strongholds that I'm going to call superiority and then also control. Maybe we identify with this, these things, or maybe it's something else for us. But with, with Peter, Jesus questions him. Um, he's, he's questioning his love, and he says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me more than these? We didn't talk about that yet. Do, do you really love me more than these? So commentaries and theologians have all kind of thoughts on what these are. And the, the three big ones are, who are the, the these that he's referring to? Is it, is it the, the fishing and the fish and the boats and the lifestyle? Hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? That's legitimate, it could be. Or is it, do you love me more than the guys that are in front of you? Like, you, do you love the disciples? And like, do you love me more than you love them? I don't know that that was a huge issue for Peter because it doesn't seem like he overly loved the disciples. But here's a third one that's intriguing to me. It's, it's a little bit newer for me. I don't know how I've missed this before. Peter, do you, do you really think you love me more than these other guys love me? Peter, do you really think that you love me more than everyone else? Interesting. Mark chapter 14, so right before Jesus is betrayed, uh, says this. Jesus said to them, you, you will all fall away, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Maybe Jesus is challenging Peter's identity. It's based on his own strength. It's based on his sense of superior love. And then verse 18, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you walked wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and will carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Here Jesus says, you're going to lose control of your life. It's going to be, it's going to be taken away from you. Your identity and your security and having control and being the rock, the leader, the strong man is not reality, Peter. It's sandy ground upon which you're trying to build your life, and it has no place in my kingdom. These are issues we face as a culture, as the American church, and we face it personally. This pandemic seems to have caused this to most definitely bubble to the surface, our sense of superiority and our sense of control. Jesus invites Peter, and he invites us to give up these faults, these empty identities in order to free us. To free us from the, from the fear and the anger, maybe, that we're facing. From fighting for our rights. From con condemning and judging those 
and casting judgment on those that don't believe as we do. Jesus wants to free us, and instead, he invites us to give into something better, to be embraced by something better. What does that mean? Instead of trying to build ourselves up and convince others of how well we love and do life, or honestly beat ourselves up for how poorly we love and how poorly we do life, he wants us to see him and to see his love for us. Three times Jesus asks, do you love me? Why three times? What's significant about that? Well, one, it parallels Peter's shining moment, right? Of his thrice denial of Jesus. Not just um, reluctantly does Jesus embrace him back, but he embraces him back. It's like the, it's like the prodigal son. He embraces him back, not as, not as a hired servant and says, hey, just sit at the corner for a while until you get your act together, until you prove, until you prove yourself. Instead, he embraces him back into his family to care and to carry the mission of his family, to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep, to feed my sheep. Jesus vindicates Peter. He reestablishes him to serve alongside himself. What's Jesus doing? Peter, my love and forgiveness, my embrace of you, is a greater security. It's a greater identity. In a sense, Jesus is saying, my love for you has carried me through my death and out the other side so that I can forgive you, I can restore you, and I can make things right. I'm doing this. This is the identity he gives, not just to Peter, he gives to all who come to him when we give in to him and to his love. In the weakness of our, our love and our faith, Jesus' love and faithfulness shines like the sun, right? We may love like stars in the night. These are good things. They, they give light in the nighttime. But when his love rises, it overtakes the day. Why focus on the light of the stars when we can live in the light of the sun? He is the supreme object of love that we are looking for, but we can't find anywhere else. When he swallows us up, our love grows. It compels us to follow him, to feed his sheep, and to rise, to love with his hands, and to see with his eyes.